0: This is the Authentic Tea Podcast brought to you by Resilience Yoga. This is the perfect place to find that time and space just for you. I am your host, Rach, and I'm excited to share with you my love of yoga, meditation, and conscious living. As a medic, I understand the challenges of working in medicine as a woman and the desire to maintain a sense of self and authenticity. This podcast will bring you thoughts and ideas on how to create balance each day and to cultivate practices that allow you to connect to yourself and the world around you. I'm honoured to be sharing my cup of tea with colleagues and friends who share their experience of creating their own path through life. I hope these stories inspire you to free your inner self and live more mindfully each day. It's a pleasure to be joined in this episode by Katia. Katia is the founder of The Working Well Doctor and is passionate about helping others to thrive well during tough times. Katia is supporting caring professionals with children to thrive in life and work with well-being training, career and teaching coaching. Combining her personal and professional experience, Katia offers career development and client-based business mentorship programs. Welcome Katia. Hiya, thanks so much for having me. It's really fab to have you here today, and I just wonder if we could start off if you could just share a little bit about the Working Well Doctor, when and how it was created, and what you're sharing through your platform.
1: Yeah, so uh, I was thinking a little bit about this before coming on. Um, Yeah, so I started the Working Well Doctor uh, mainly because I myself had struggled with anxiety, and I didn't really notice or name it or address it or anything for such a long time. It turned into burnout which is quite rubbish. It was very debilitating. It took quite a bit of work to get recovered from that. Um, and part of the problem I realised was that I uh, there's still a stigma around mental health um, for everybody. But I do think in caring professions, we're so busy caring for others, we often forget to care for ourselves, or we don't feel there's time, or we feel guilty, or there's lots of reasons. And I think there weren't many conversations that I was aware of where people in healthcare and doctors were talking about their own personal problems. And I think when you're a parent, your world, can, uh, your world can get turned upside down. And obviously, again, you've got many hats, different caring roles, all of which are amazing. But I think those can all contribute. And in my case, they did contribute to me just really not noticing how much the anxiety is affecting me. And all those factors are actually kind of preventable or at least you can mitigate or minimise if you have a lot more self-awareness. And I really wanted to start those conversations. I wanted to share my story so that other people might avoid the mistakes I made, really, because you can't really be what you can't see. We were talking about this earlier, but I think role models are important. And at the time, I was unwell with anxiety and burnout. I didn't know of many other doctors who were talking about this, and it just felt a big barrier. And I think I probably would have got better sooner if I had... Known about the things that I now know or seen people talking in the way we are now talking. So that was a large part of the passion and that still drives me now. Uh, and I also love to teach, I've always talked throughout my whole life. And I obviously, as an occupational health doctor and GP, I know a fair bit about wellbeing and I've, uh, I know even more now because I've got, obviously I've developed my expertise in that area. Uh, and I received some coaching during my journey. And that was great. And I really love it. So now I uh, deliver coaching for others, which I think is really helpful part of the tools you can get to develop yourself and get through any challenging patches. And the thing that's working really most successfully at the moment is sort of doing programs, two month programs, where I do a um, a mixture of training and coaching for people with either career issues, uh, people with teamwork, especially um, teams up in the pandemic, are, some of them are struggling, understandably. And also there's quite a few doctors, uh, as we know, or the healthcare professionals who are thinking of alternative ways to uh, live and work since the pandemic. Uh, some people are thinking of more of a portfolio career or leaving medicine entirely, and there isn't much guidance out there about how to run or start a business for doctors. So I'm doing mentorship to help doctors starting new businesses. Cause again, same thing when I started my business, there was nobody out there telling me what to do. So I went and learned it all myself and it was great and fun and interesting, but it would have been nice if there'd been somebody <laughs> with a bit of a pointer. So those are the three things I do really. I do a uh, small business mentorship. I do well-being training and I do career and team coaching and the programs I deliver kind of have a combination of those three factors. Um, It's great. It's really rewarding to help others. Hopefully it's helping. uh, and keeps me out of trouble.
0: (laughs) And it sounds wonderful that you've found those different elements that you've obviously enjoyed for a long time. And do you think that your background, so being a GP and an occupational health doctor, did they lead you into the coaching? Or can you see now that you were doing some of that actually as part of those roles?
1: Uh, It's a really good question, isn't it? So I think the surface answer is no. I was a doctor and then I had some coaching and then it was like, oh, it's great. Let me learn more about coaching. But as I've learned more about coaching, I realized that there are big overlapping skills, especially, you know, the part of uh, clinical practice where you listen, the beginning of the history in particular, when you have open questions, that's a really key skill for coaching, which is about having a safe space and those features for being a doctor where you create a confidential safe space you try not to be judgmental I think those themes do overlap into coaching which is lovely the massive difference in coaching or at least my style of coaching is that at least for the bulk of it at the the large part you try not to be directive which is where it diverges completely from medicine so you have to really try not to give advice try not to tell people what to do because like drawing out their own inner resources and their own answers and especially with stuff like a career I can't really tell you what you want it really has to be what works for you and we talked about this before starting the podcast didn't we And, and I think if you're going to sustain something especially through the challenges it needs to be something that you really love and you need to draw that from yourself and coaching can help you do that so that's why I love coaching because it is really about supporting the other to find their own resources without telling them I think medicine is very often about telling and directing so yeah that's the thing I love most about coaching.
0: You touched a little bit about your own experience of coaching so is that something that you've continued do you have a coach yourself and have you had coaches at points where you've needed some sort of guidance and facilitation to move forward?
1: Yeah yeah, I had a coach when I was in the uh, trickier parts of my journey uh, and that was really helpful. And now the an interesting thing about um, coaching is I try and do sort of some co-coaching as part of my coaching practice. So I had supervision, which is important. Then you do actual coaching for your clients. And then we try and do some co-coaching in groups of other groups of other coaches where we coach each other and we observe each other. So it's partly continuous professional development. You're, you're learning, supporting, sharing with each other so you can continue to improve your practice. But by doing that, you take it in turns to be the coach and to be the coach e, which is a new word that I've recently learned. Um, the person in receipt of coaching, uh, and that means you do get your own coaching along the way from fellow coaches, and that's actually quite quite good as well. So I think it's helpful to keep your hand in both as the coach and the recipient of the coach coaching
0: and sharing some of that. Like you've just said, so sharing it with your peers, a lot of that is about sort of the collaboration, isn't it, and the support network that you've created. And before we started the podcast, we were talking about a couple of things that are interesting there. So I know that you're part of the Joyful Doctor Network. Is that something that you sort out because it's working with a network of people doing similar approaches to supporting healthcare professionals? And how does that support guide you or help you?
1: Yeah, that's lovely, isn't it? They're a really they're a lovely team. It wasn't; it was more organic, I think, than you're suggesting. I met Caroline Walker, who is lovely. She's the founder of The Joyful Doctor uh, and started working with her. And then she invited me to work as head of training, which I do. I love that. I love training. So that's great for me. Uh, And I'm able to help her and The Joyful Doctor. Uh, Yes. And within that, there is a team within Joyful Doctor. It's lovely to have a group of people uh, to connect with. We do some professional connections. We do some things outside of work, like doing the couch to 5k some of us virtually doing the virtual couch to 5k um so supporting each other in lots of in lots of ways so that is really lovely especially in these in lockdown when other connections are harder i think being able to have connections in that way is helpful most of it's virtual and whatsapp and so on but it's still really helpful and i think that's something that that helps is that there's an overlap in values between what i do at the work in my doctor and what the joyful doctor does which is about helping caring professionals um the Joyful Doctor is mainly, obviously, doctors, as it says on the tin, whereas I really am passionate about it not just being doctors because, you know, there are teachers, nurses, genetic counsellors, lots of people with caring roles, and I think the themes do overlap. But there's still a great uh, overlap between what I do and the Joyful Doctor does, and so it's really lovely, really lovely to work together and work towards common goals.
0: And supporting caring professionals is one thing that's, I think, People who care for others often find really difficult, maybe more difficult than other people. It's really about caring for themselves. In your own experience, and your own journey, was there a point where you realised you weren't really doing that? And did that contribute to some of the challenges that you've had?
1: Yes, (laughs) the short answer, because I I can tell you're a really, uh, really diplomatic and accomplished uh, professional yourself there. Very nicely crafted question. The short answer is yes, absolutely. Um uh so like I said uh earlier, yeah. So all of that was a big factor for me, not giving myself permission, feeling very guilty about even thinking about looking after myself, and there wasn't time and other people needed me, be it at home or at work, and that you know I just couldn't possibly do that. And what happens is you can do that for a while, we can all do it for a while. We're in the most caring professionals are highly capable people and we're very intelligent and we can carry on for a while, but uh, there's these analogies people use about you know running on empty or your battery or whatever, but ultimately you have a you have a capacity, and when that runs out, then you don't have any more capacity and then you and the people around you suffer not just at work but at home um and that really is burnout. I know you work for w h o don't you so the, you know the definition of burnout is those three parts you know emotional distance from your work, poor performance and Uh, Fatigue that isn't relieved by rest. So the third one where your performance goes down is when everybody notices you're in burnout. But the first two can last for a long time in my humble view from personal experience and from my work both clinically and now in the wellbeing uh, arena. You have a long time when you're feeling exhausted, uh, which isn't relieved by weekends and and weeks off. Uh, And a long time when you can feel, um, emotionally distance is a strange word, but I think it, it manifests itself differently for different people. Some people feel cynical. Some people just feel like whatever this patient is going to say, I just don't want to hear it. That kind of, I don't have the energy to listen to your, someone else's problems, but whatever the manifestation for the individual human doctor or caring professional is, I think that sits under that umbrella of emotional distance from work. Those two can go on for a while in my view, before you really have poor performance and that really is a marker for you've got a you've got your function is now impaired and you need, and you need to take a break. That's where I reached, and so it, it take a what it takes a while to get back from that third point. Hence me being very passionate about helping others avoid it because it is quite a rubbish place to be.
0: And now you're able to use that experience, although as you say, you wouldn't willingly want anyone to go through that experience. But you've been able to take that experience and move forward and share it with other people. Are there things that you now do to avoid getting back into that sort of cycle? Are there things that you can do in your own self-care that you know are really key to your day, to your week?
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm looking at you thinking about all your yoga and stuff. So it's interesting. I'm not just going to say it's because you're a yoga teacher, (laughs) but I do think those basics are important you know you think we are physiological creatures we have basic needs so we do need and we talk about it all the time but it doesn't stop it being true we do need to get adequate sleep adequate hydration adequate nutrition uh, and moving your body in whichever way is works for you and being outside i think there's a fair bit of evidence that being outside is good for you and then if you can actually exercise outside, even, even better. There's a really interesting article in the, I think it was the WHO, Church. Social Determinants of Health. It was a tiny little paragraph in a big document saying they did some studies with pot plants in offices, and people who had a pot plant in their office had better performance, and I think they had better mood as well than those without a pot plant. And you're like, that's just a really small plant. Think how, you know, a walk out in the outside would be. So now I have lots of pot plants, uh, but I tend to kill them, so I have lots of succulents because they don't die. <laughs> I guess to answer your question, that's one example of how I try and uh, build those things in, having pot plants, trying to do the sleep exercise, blah, blah, blah. Mindfulness is important. I know you teach meditation, don't you? I've done a mindfulness-based course. Um, I think that is helpful for most, though not all, but many people find that helpful uh, and then I think there's a lot of things that fall under the loose umbrella of positive psychology, but they involve sort of reframing, thinking about the neuroplasticity of your brain, how you can change your habits and the importance of connections. Social connection is really important for humans. I think that's pretty evident to anyone who's been through lockdown, uh, but trying to be creative about maintaining and developing and nurturing those connections despite lockdown. And I think creativity is something I've started to appreciate. There's a, um, it's important for your being and it, as well as being nice and fun for your well-being. I think it really does support problem solving and, creati- and creativity is needed to solve problems and develop in your cognitive tasks, whether that's work, in work or out of work. So I think there's some evidence that those things are helpful as well as being good for your well-being. They improve your function um, and maintain your function. Yeah, lots of things. I wrote my, I think my, one of my emails coming up for my email community is going to be on how play is helpful for us. Not just for children, but for grown-ups too.
0: That is amazing. I love that. And then, and one of the things I loved about your website is you have a beautiful card on there which you have designed and beautifully painted yourself. Is is art something that you have rediscovered or has it always been there?
1: Gosh, yeah, it's really kind of you to say. I hadn't really thought of it that. So I I did I did do that painting. It is mine. It's all original work. But no, I'm not the world's greatest artist by any stretch. I am. I painted that in January this year, January 2021 in the UK. So it was really dark. We just basically had Christmas cancelled for those listening in the UK. I know that Rachel's got an international audience. So uh, for the UK, it was pretty, pretty rubbish, let's be honest. Uh, And I really wanted to, to channel some hope. So while I was painting this card, I actually had some personal time for once And I just really focused on that. And I didn't, and I was very organic. I didn't really plan it in a particular way, except, okay, we'll have the balloon here and whatever sunset. Uh, And then afterwards, I can't remember what happened. Afterwards, I shared it with some people, some people in Team Joy, actually. And they said, oh, this is lovely. Will you make it into a card? And I was like, okay um so it really seemed to resonate and I think the reason it resonated my view is that it was the when I painted it I was really in this mind's headspace of trying to channel hope and feel very kind of connected to whatever that means and somehow that resonates I'm really glad you like it um and uh uh, yeah and I just thought okay what can I do to give back so it's a charity greetings card so all uh, profits go to mind and duty to care And I chose those two charities. Mind is a UK-based charity, but you can access it anywhere. It's got loads of great resources. And uh, um, so I do think it's helpful. And it has a lot of workplace-based resources. So uh, when I used to do clinical occupational health, I would sometimes refer clients to that. And then duty to care, like I said, I didn't just want to help uh, healthcare staff who were just doctors. So duty to care is an organisation that supports all staff in healthcare, not just doctors. Um, So the proceeds are split between those two. So if anybody would like any, you can go to the website um, and click the link and get them sent sent over um, and just to spread some hope, really.
0: It's beautiful. I really love it. And I was just really, it's very joyful. And it's also a lovely thing to see in and amongst everything else you're offering, because I think it. It sometimes when we have different ways to show our creativity, it also shows different parts of us. So uh, that's that's part of the reason that I really enjoyed seeing it.
1: Oh, well, thank you. That's really lovely to hear. That's great. Oh, yes. Yeah, I do other crazy creative things, none of them with great deal of skill, but a great deal of enthusiasm. So I like crocheting and candle making and just stuff. Just, yeah, all the, for the reasons that I just said before, playing and creative, there's lots of good science behind it. But ultimately, it's fun and it gets you in flow, that state. But you can't think about anything else because you're just thinking of this one thing because it's just tricky enough to absorb all your cognitive and physical senses. And that's a great reason in itself to do, to do stuff like that.
0: Often these activities are also when they're so contrasting and they're with our hands. And instead of being either like lots of people are talking a lot of the day or they're typing a lot of the day. So doing something that takes you away from that and you can achieve that level of flow in it and that sort of absorption. I think that's the that is the joy of it. It's the contrast. It's the difference that we're we're sort of finding in ourselves, which is is, is really nice. And like you say, a lot of it's about permission, isn't it? And giving yourself permission to actually just explore those things and not worry about what the outcome is and just let it happen.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think, again, silver lining of lockdown is we've had to be more creative about what we're going to do to to give ourselves those positive experiences within a more confined life or world. So I think that's one opportunity that's been presented by lockdown, isn't it? Doing more craft, doing people, baking and all that stuff. So I think that that's great. And I think you're right. I think it is about carving out space and time to do those things.
0: And also, as we're talking, we're still in the middle of the pandemic we're in different countries at the moment. So you and I are in slightly different situations with lockdowns. But one of the things that a lot of people have found is that they're they're spending more time in their homes, whether that's working or whether that's being restricted with the amount of time that they can leave their home for public health reasons. And I know one of the things that you've created is a support sort of ebook for people who are working from home. So maybe you could just give a bit of a reflection as to whether that's also, maybe your own experience of working from home and what you're sharing with other people about how they can manage that.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Actually, I wrote the book basically from the UK first lockdown here at my Occupational House Doctor. I know all about work, um, done the diploma. And yet when it when everybody said work from home, I did the same as everybody else. I got a laptop and I put it in the kitchen and then I wondered why. I got interrupted by the blender. It was really glary because there's no shades in the kitchen window. So I was there in my sunglasses on the computer, getting a headache from the glare, being interrupted, with funny posture. And I was like, what, what am I doing? This is crazy. You need to think a bit more about this. So I thought it all through. And I think you do need to think through. And that's really was the genesis of the book. So yeah, I talk, I talk in the book. It's just it's, it's an ebook. It's not, you know, very many pages long, but it's got some some nuggets in there. So if you'd like it, it's free. You can grab it from my website, workingwelldoctor.com. Just click on the link that says free ebook. Um, I just really wanted to share these ideas because I think it is important. And so some of the ideas are about boundaries. So, you know, for, if possible find a space where you won't be interrupted by the blend of the microwave um, and even if you can't do that maybe find some other solutions so for example we're both wearing headphones easy solution to, to give a bit of a boundary and, a, and minimize some interruptions and also a, a tip that works is to change your clothing so that if you live with others you give a non-verbal cue to everybody you live with that this is my work clothes i'm now working so of course you may also need to tell them but it, it means you're they're, they're, you're in a different mindset they're in a different mindset you get less interrupted for those who live with children i would normally and you have another partner in the home i'd normally uh re- pre-arrange who's looking after the children and then tell the children i'm in my work clothes this is my work time please don't interrupt me this is who you can interrupt and then obviously you know in a good relationship we'll flip around and, and swap roles so i think that's helpful and i think it helps for your mindset as well so i'm wearing my work clothes for you even though this is not video i've got my work shoes on i used to um i don't know about you i used to be tempted to do the old zoom call in your pajama bottle and your posh top because you know nobody would know what you're wearing on your uh waist down but that for my for me the mindset doesn't work because because it it feels that when you then finish work you're still wearing your pajamas so then you're relaxing going to bedtime feels a bit influenced by work so i find it helpful put your work clothes on for work and then take them off and the, the main benefit is when you take them off and put your pajamas on or your your jeans or whatever that tells you that you're now off work and it helps you give yourself mental time off from your work. So um, I think those things help. And then rituals before and, end, before and after your work, walking around the block, walking around the kitchen, taking three deep breaths. Whatever you can do just to, again, demark your work time and your home time, even though you're in one in, in your home. Uh, And then, yeah, avoiding the slumping on the sofa with your laptop, just simple stuff about sitting comfortably, sitting properly. I'm sure as a public health doctor, I don't need to tell you this, but, you know, avoiding what might be a (laughs) Uh, a short-term muscular ache if you're just on your laptop for an hour a day. But if you're doing it weeks and months on end for days and days, then it can become quite problematic. And it's not rocket science. You just need to try and get yourself a desk, try and get yourself a separate screen and keyboard, try and think about right angles, hips, knees, ankles, Everything except your wrist needs to be try and be at a right angle and then try and have those wrists neutral uh, rather than cocked up or cocked down over a wonky keyboard. And again, over time, I think that really helps just your general well-being and your focus. You're not being distracted by aches. And I think the other thing that helps, we talked about connection as well. So I think that's important to do for work. And then breaks. I don't know about you, but people, I think, sometimes feel guilty about working from home and they need to prove they're working if they're working for a boss, they're not working for themselves, they feel they have to send that email at midnight to prove how hard they're working. And I think that's really detrimental as well to, so you need to have the trust with your team. That's helpful if you knew them in real life before it's harder. I think if you started a new job and you've ever only ever worked virtually, but there are ways to connect, to have walk and talk meetings, to send each other a card, to have some informal zoom drinks or whatever. There are ways to have sort of develop and permit fun and social connections. Uh, My most recent email I did, uh, it's not in the ebook actually, but it's in my most recent email about uh, randomized coffee trials where they they developed a way of getting people to connect at work by permitting them and actually asking them to have coffee with each other on work time for half an hour. And they're randomly allocated a coffee partner. Uh, It could be done virtually or in real life. And you could talk about anything. You didn't have to talk about work at all. And the interesting thing is that people did inevitably talk a bit about work. So actually, it it sparked ideas that helped innovation within the company. Uh, And when they didn't talk about work, they were building that social connections, building the glue that helped the teams together. Uh, And that helps morale and teamwork. Uh, And then it prevented some other problems like organizational silos forming, which is this phrase for when different teams within a company don't communicate, because they might be competing for resources, or they might... lots of reasons they feel that it's not in their interest to share and that's really detrimental for the overall team uh, and that happens in healthcare teams as well so I think all these little strategies can either prevent problems arising or promote uh, better team unity uh, and that's very important when you work from home because again working from home is another barrier to connection so again trying to be creative to overcome those barriers. So that's some of the stuff in the book uh, and there's stuff in my email as well if you if you want to get the email uh yeah you can join from my website as well the workingworlddoctor.com
0: thank you we'll make sure we put all the links underneath so people can click in and have a look at the ebook and I think it's it's just so important as we're moving into a different period of time and it's difficult the uncertainty is there so we don't know how long we're going to be in those situations For some people it will mean a big shift in the way that they work so taking time to just reflect and look at what you're doing and put in place some simple measures like you're suggesting, I think it's just so crucial to maintaining our workplace well-being, even if the workplace is now in, in the home. Yeah, definitely. And I think for me, I've worked at, I've worked remotely for a long time, but one of the things I really find so important is connection. And you've mentioned it a few times, that connection both to ourselves and giving ourselves that time to think about what's going on in our own minds, our own bodies. And then the connection with other people is obviously so crucial to feeling like you are contributing to something, particularly in a workplace and in a team. And as well as working for yourself at the moment and working in the teams that you do, I know something we talked about right at the beginning was around role models and connecting with people who can inspire you and really but through this podcast what I'm really hoping is that people can listen and they get a little bit of inspiration a little bit of a spark to follow their dreams to follow different ideas and to be confident with themselves so were there people in your life that you were able to identify as a role model and who are those people maybe and what have you learned from finding maybe women maybe men who have been a role model for you
1: that's really interesting, isn't it? So I think I, you, I was thinking about this question. I think the way I've, I think there's been a few role models. I think the way you find them is really, as you were saying, it's really with your intuition. There's nothing that you say am this person's name or their job title is going to make them into a good role model for you. Uh, I think it's about noticing what your values are, like you were saying, and reflecting. And like I said, hopefully conversations like this will spark ideas and, and, and help people reflect and think about their path. So I think if you have done that process, then you can more easily spot somebody in your world who resonates with, with those feelings. And then you go, "Oh, okay, fine. Then then you sort of get excited and, and try and sort of learn and ask and, and see what they're up to. Um, and for me, yeah, it's mainly, uh, it's mainly been women who are parents, which was one reason why I wanted to share these ideas with other parents, they're women and men, but I am a woman. So, you know, so I think that is helpful Um it doesn't always have to be doctors. Again, I think it's important for me that it's more about supporting and connecting with caring professionals more broadly. Yeah. And I think there are some people in the broader world who are who are role models, people who might be write books and so on. But, um, I think it's helpful to have a mixture of people who you, who you might sort of see in the broader world. And then a few people, you know, personally, um, I think your role models will change as your needs change as well, you know, so you can have a role model when you're at medical school, who's this like amazing junior doctor, and you want to be them. And that's, that's great. And then later on, you might have a role model, who's this professional parent who is juggling and is managing to manage themselves and all the the caring roles. So yeah, so I think your role models shift and change, don't they?
0: Yeah, definitely. And do you think that's just made me think about how also our passions change? So when you look back over your career and, and the path that you've taken, can you see any themes that have run through it? And can you see a big difference between what you thought maybe you would be doing after you finished university?
1: Yeah, it's really interesting, actually. I was thinking about this recently because um, part of the coaching I do is sometimes to get um, coaches to do a riv- their river of life. So this is draw a river and this is your life and you mark off on your life uh, represented by the river, the, the significant events, positive and negative. And actually, if you do that, uh, it could be a really powerful way of getting that holistic overview. So I was thinking about this recently. I've, been, I've done one for myself as well. Um, but actually, yes, I've always loved teaching. Always, I used to teach children's dance. I used to do children's ballet when I was myself a young teenager. I was a special needs support teacher in uh, before going to medical school. I have taught all the way through medical school uh, and junior doctor. I went to Mayo Clinic and taught a lot there. I've done pediatric support and training. So. I've always taught and then here I am teaching <laughs> uh, and I've loved the part of medicine where you listen and hear people's stories and yeah and that's a large part of coaching so actually a large part of what I do now has always been there.
0: Oh that's a beautiful way to come to the conclusion of our podcast I really love that whole idea of the river of life and it's a great exercise I've done something similar to that before and it is really great to be able to see the themes and the different things that are coming along and you and pulling them together and feeling like you're going in the right direction and that you're following what you is authentic for you so that's really lovely to hear that just before we go where can people find out more i know we've mentioned about your website but what's the best way to get in contact with you if people want to connect
1: yeah, so the website is probably the simplest. Um, workingwelldoctor.com. dot uh, com. All the connections are through there, but you can also email me direct the well experience at Gmail uh, They're the two simplest ways, and if you'd like the card, you can click on the website or the free ebook, or to join the email list, they're all available through my website. Just click on the links, and I'm also on Instagram at Working underscore Well underscore Doctor. And on LinkedIn, I have a Facebook group for my Thrive Well community. So if you'd like to join that, then you're welcome to just um, connect with me through the website or my email. And then I can hit you up with that uh, sort of members Thrive Well group as well.
0: Brilliant. Thank you. And we will definitely put all these links below. So it's been a real pleasure chatting to you. I could chat to you for a lot, lot longer. I've got so many questions, but um, one of the reasons that I wanted to do this podcast is really so that we can be the most authentic version of ourselves. And as it's called authentic tea, I would love to know who you would like to have your most authentic cup of tea with.
1: Yes, I thought about this question. I was like, oh my God. So lots of uh, lots no of different people, yeah, no pressure. But I think um because it's a kind of uh a really broad question I think I'm going to go for so there's lots of people you can have an authentic cup of tea with which is lovely in real life or or even here I've got my tea while I'm talking to you which is lovely uh, but I'm going to choose somebody who I might not get to have a real life cup of tea with maybe I will uh, and that's Michelle Obama um I really find her inspirational I love her podcast her book uh, and I think she strikes obviously I've never met her in real life but she strikes me as somebody who has managed to maintain her authenticity despite many challenges and she represents somebody who aside from being you know the first lady or ex-first lady you know, as a black woman there's inevitably going to be challenges for her uh, and she has managed to uh, meet or manage those uh, and yet really uh seems to maintain her authenticity um So, yeah, talking of role models, I think she's one of my role models. That would be really, I'd love to have a chat to her.
0: I also would love to have a chat with her. Maybe, maybe one day, who knows? Who knows where these circles take us, huh?
1: Oh, yes, who knows?
0: Let's make it happen. So, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Thank you so much for being part of the podcast today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Oh,
1: thank you, Rachel. I really enjoyed this.
0: You've been listening to The Authentic Tea Podcast brought to you by Rach and Resilience Yoga, creating yoga and meditation content specifically for women in medicine who want to cultivate inner calm and resilience. If you've enjoyed listening, please subscribe, rate, write a quick review and join us again soon.